great to be back and to uh, be sharing with you this morning. I haven't done it for a while, so I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, just to really share from my heart this morning, um, let's just pray. Father God, we, as we start the beginning of a new year, and it's February already, and the year is moving on, we, we just thank you that you are the God who was, who is, and is to come. We don't know everything about this year, what this year will hold, but we know who you are. We thank you for what we can't see, you can. What we can't do, you can. What we're not, you are. And so, Lord, we just thank you for who you are. And with confidence, we look at this year. Speak to us through your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this uh, coming April, um, this uh, city campus here will celebrate its 39th anniversary. And having been a part of it right from day one, I have to say that I've um, never been more excited about our future together than I am now. Diane and I, you know, we particularly love spending time with newcomers to the church family and also who are new to this country. And we often ask uh, people, uh, first-time visitors here, what was your first impression of our church? And it's amazing that virtually every time they say the same thing. And no, it's not how good-looking the pastors are, anything like that. They say, uh, firstly, they say there are just people here from so many different countries and cultures and ethnic groups. Um, it's like United Nations. And then they go on to say the second thing, but everyone's mixing together. Everyone's talking, sharing together. It's so diverse, but it seems such a united family. I've never been in a church like it. And virtually everyone says the same thing. And, you know, I just want to thank all of you that despite that we come from so many different backgrounds, worldviews, church traditions, we here we focus on what unites us rather than what divides us. Um, we have a great future together. Yeah. Over the Christmas New Year period, I've been thinking a lot about, probably like you, what this year's going to hold. Um, if you watch the news and everything going on, it can be quite depressing, but you sort of think, wonder what this year's going to hold. And as I was reading the book of John, I came across a chapter that the Holy Spirit just quickened to me as very relevant to the times in which we live. And I trust that we'll be really encouraged and challenged today by it. I love how the Bible, you know, sometimes goes into such graphic, honest detail about every life situation and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And John chapter 9 is very much like that. And so we're going to uh, read it. If you bear with me, we're going to read, you know, a fair uh, big part of the chapter because we need to see the whole uh, story here. We need to get a sense and a feel for it. So let's read today's scripture from John chapter 9, verse, starting verse 1. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man that they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. Then he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he'd received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was yours eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still not believe that he had been born blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner, he replied. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've already told you and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I might believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Wow, what a roller coaster of entrenched positions, angry controversy, 
ongoing offences and endless opinion and heated arguments. And yet, in the midst of it, miracles happened. The biblical context of the story is one of societal, political, and religious upheaval. The Roman Empire was changing, influencing, and to be honest, overwhelming everything in its path. As a result, people were trying to navigate this new reality. There were huge tensions and clashes as values, beliefs, worldviews, and traditions collided. People were confused, they were disenfranchised, they were marginalized and divided. Everyone had differing opinions and strong viewpoints on everything. And yet, into this mix, Jesus came. Let's look at what happened and see what we can learn from it for us in 2024. I guess you can divide this uh, story up into four main parts. Firstly, the debating disciples. You know, these disciples, they just saw this blind beggar as a chance for a theological or philosophical debate. But Jesus simply saw a person in need and an opportunity for God's power to move. While they debated, and I hate to think about it, but I think they probably argued in front of this poor man. Jesus simply offered a solution. I love what, how Jesus replied to his disciples' questions, and I particularly like what it says in the message translation. Let's just read it. Jesus replied and said, You're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. I think these words are profound. And I think they speak to us today in the world we live. The second sort of part of the story is the crowd's opinions. All the neighbors, friends, family, onlookers, they turned up and there were more opinions, more arguments, more division. If they'd had internet in their day, no doubt there'd be nasty posts on Facebook and social media There'd be conspiracy theories. And yet, in all the controversy, they completely missed the point that a miracle had happened and that a man born blind could now see. My grandfather was blind, so I know firsthand how difficult, how so hard it is to have no sight. This was life-changing for this man but everyone was just focused and arguing about minor issues. In verse 16 in the Living Bible, it says, there was a deep division of opinion among them. So much like today. Then there's the experts' arguments. The the so-called real experts now weighed in. Once again, not really concerned about the man or celebrating a miracle, but debating procedures, rites, traditions, and perceived offences. Even the poor parents, they were too frightened to say anything unless they caused trouble or offend. And after two intense and angry interrogations, the healed man makes this great statement. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. You can't really argue with that. 
the ironic thing is that the man who had been blind was now the only one here who could really see. And finally, we come to God's overriding plan and purpose. The thing is, this man had never actually seen Jesus because Jesus had put the mud on his eyes and seen him on the way, and he washed, and then he could see, so he had no idea actually what Jesus looked like. So Jesus came looking for him. I love that. I just want to say this morning, if you know, you're here and you have never really met Jesus, you don't really have a relationship with him, I want to tell you that he knows you. He loves you and he cares for you. And this morning, he comes looking for you. You may or may not be looking for him, but this morning, he comes looking for you. This man could see physically now, but he was spiritually blind. And so Jesus showed the man who he really was. And then this man said, I, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And the second miracle happened. So I want to just explore this morning how this applies to us here in New Zealand in 2024. This month, I celebrate being a follower of Christ for 55 years. And I, I'm, I tell you, I have never been more in love with Jesus than I am now. From a 15-year-old to now, I just, the joy and the privilege of knowing and following Christ. 55 years ago in New Zealand seemed to me to be a very different place than it is now. Then most of our society's values, laws, and worldviews, you know, to me seemed then largely based on biblical principles. To be honest, whether you're a Christian or not then, people around you still had, you know, pretty similar values and they seem to value uh, biblical truths. People 55 years ago, if I can remember that far back, was open to respectfully discussing different viewpoints together and were tolerant of those who didn't agree with them. Being a Christian 55 years ago wasn't always easy, but to be honest, you still felt largely mainstream. Today, it seems to me to be fundamentally different. It feels a bit like John chapter 9. It feels like the world is just an offense waiting to happen. People are polarized, angry, grumpy, and divided on so many things. Everyone seems to be an armchair critic or a sideline expert on something. If I read it on social media, it must be true. People are scared to say too much unless they're labeled sexist, ageist, racist, politically incorrect. People are getting overwhelmed and lost in controversy, conspiracy, and crusades. You know, I have some Christian friends that I daren't raise certain subjects with anymore because if I do, wow, there is quite an angry reaction. In fact, they are so caught up on some particular issues that now they only share about those rather than sharing Christ. Their opinions and issues have now become their gospel. They spend more time posting about them than praying about them. But I can see no positive solutions. 
So how can we as Christians in New Zealand and the world we live in, how can we navigate this new reality we find ourselves in? How can we balance, on one hand, being engaged and change agents, and yet, on the other hand, not being caught up, detoured, with, and hijacked by all the disputes, by all the heated opinions and constant noise? How can we keep focused on our main goal and mission of seeing people come to faith in Christ while living in this real world? I don't pretend to know all the answers, and I'm still learning, but I think all of us need at the beginning of a new year to ask ourselves these questions. I want to be very clear that I'm not saying this morning that as Christians we should be ignorant or uninformed. I certainly don't think we should be silent or complacent. I don't think we're talking about being apathetic or unengaged, certainly not about compromised faith or weak. We shouldn't be passive or fatalistic or sort of nostalgic living in the past. I'd like to suggest, though, that a start of a new year in this polarized world we live in, that we need to take stock and consider, are we asking the right questions? Are we looking to see what God can do? There are many of you here today that I know are actively engaged and influencing for good and truth. You've realized that no matter where God has placed you in life, it matters. You've realized that no matter how early you turn up tomorrow morning at work or class, Jesus is there before you. You're really trying to influence in the areas of the marketplace, arts, sports, media, politics, justice, environment, health, all these areas. You're not just resigned to complaining or grumbling, but you're looking about intentionally working for sustainable solutions, and I honour you. And you have inspired Don and I to do the same both here and overseas. You are our heroes. I'd like to share a recent example of how Don and I tried to navigate the new reality we find ourselves in. A few years ago, we built a house in a new subdivision in, on the North Shore. It was a master-planned eco-subdivision. Beautiful. We, we thought we'd landed in paradise, or so we thought. We moved in, and we were quite surprised to find that there was no one else like us apart from one couple across the road. Most of our neighbours could speak no or little English. There were lots of young families. There seemed to be so many different faiths and religions as we walked around the subdivision. There were shrines in the gardens. There were altars in the hallways. There were same-sex parent families. There was a huge range of different ethnic groups and cultures. Many in our area were finding it really challenging to connect and understand and tolerate this diversity. They couldn't understand the different cultural practices. There was no sense of community. <clears throat> there was an awful lot of grumbling. There was a lot of negativity. There were toxic posts on the subdivision Facebook page. There were petty arguments. There were disputes. There were misunderstandings, and there was a lot of prejudice. So Don and I, we, we decided we had a choice. We could sell up 
as some did, or we could just use our house to sort of live in and we could stay in our church and our family bubble and just use the house to hide in and judge others and join the army of complainers as a lot of other people did, or we could try and make a difference. But what could we do as just two ordinary people who live busy lives? Well, we prayed about it and we felt God just say to us, look, I've just asked you to do one simple thing. I've asked you to love the Lord your God with all your soul and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we thought, well, we've chosen to love God and I guess we can choose to love our neighbors. These aren't opposing commandments. So we thought, well, but how are we going to do this? We read about Paul, the Apostle Paul, and how in his day, with all the challenges he faced of division and diversity, he wrote these words and in 1 Corinthians 9, and let's read them from the Living Bible. When I'm with the Jews, I seem as one of them that they will listen to the gospel and I can win them to Christ. When I'm with the Gentiles who follow Jewish customs and ceremonies, I don't argue, even though I don't agree, because I want to help them. When I'm with the heathen, I agree with them as much as I can, except, of course, that I must always do what is right as a Christian. And so by agreeing, I can win their confidence and help them too. When I'm with those whose consciences bother them easily, I don't act as though I know it all and don't say they're foolish. The result is that they're willing to let me help them. Yes, whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. I do this to get the gospel to them and also for the blessing I, mys I myself receive when I see them come to Christ. So we decided, despite the situation we're in, this was an opportunity to see what God can do. And so we asked ourselves these three key questions. And, you know, I really encourage and recommend that each of us ask these at the start of a new year. The first one we asked ourselves then is, what do we already have in our hands? What skills, what abilities, what experience do Diane and I already have? And, you know... I love that history is full of change agents, especially Christians who ask this, that question. The next question we asked is what God could do through us if we made ourselves available. For the last 55 years, you know, I've served God in so many different ways, and I've often asked God, God, there must be someone around, you know, more experienced, more skilled, uh, better to do what I'm doing than me. And I remember God saying to me once, well, actually, Bruce, there is, but they're not available. And I think being available is a huge part of seeing what God can do in our lives. The third question we, Diane and I asked is, what some, are some first steps we can do to make a positive difference? Some small, sustainable steps to see some solutions. Well, Diane, being a teacher, she decided and she started offering English lessons for children and adults in the subdivision. She helped form a book club and a young mums group. We set up a neighbourhood support network and I became chairman of the Residents Association. 
And over the next few years, we built a team and we brought so many groups together for small and large events and cultural sharing. We ran educational workshops. We helped with a support network for local businesses. We facilitated all sorts of events, including Christmas outreaches and much more. Finally, even the most vocal critics admitted that something amazing had happened in our area, that we'd now become a connected, caring, accepting, and functional community. The local MP even called me the unofficial mayor. It wasn't always easy. It didn't always go perfectly, but it was possible. And we believe, we like to believe, that we ask the right questions and look for what God can do. As the worship team comes up, I just want to say that I don't know what's going to happen totally this year. None of us does, but I don't think we need to be prophetic to know that 2024 will probably be another year of strong opinions, divisive issues, and events both locally and internationally. We will all face them. We can allow ourselves to get discouraged, distracted, detoured, or overwhelmed by these. We can easily just focus on what others are saying or doing. Or we can ask, God, what are you saying in the midst of all of this? What are the opportunities around me for miracles to happen, for God's power to be released? What positive solutions can I be part of? The truth is that just endless debates, arguments, and disputes seldom change much. Like many of you here, I work a lot with youth and teenagers. I find that many of them in our society are now overwhelmed and very anxious about what they see and hear. For example, the planet's environment is ruined, leaders lack integrity, the economy is broken and corrupt, wars and pandemics are everywhere fake news, truth that constantly changes. Friends, I think the last thing this younger generation needs are more conspiracy theories and opinions. They need hope. They need faith. They need love. And the great news is this is the currency of us as Christians. I really, really believe, and this is what I really want to impart this morning, is I believe that there are miracles out there this year just waiting for you and me. This year there are miracles out there waiting just for you and me. There are opportunities especially for you and me to grasp. So let's not let opinions overwhelm opportunities. Let's not let controversies detour us from the Great Commission. Let's not let traditions distract us from the truth. Don't miss your miracles this year. Don't overlook your opportunities for 2024. Ask the right questions. Look for what God can do. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day in which we live. We thank you for the amazing opportunity of being alive in these days and being your people. We live in a complex world that's changing, that's sometimes scary, that sometimes we just can't figure out. Lord, help us to 
find where we fit again. Help us as your believers to know how we should be. We thank you for this story in John 9 that you came when the world was so confused and you're here again today. Help us to ask the right questions. Help us to look for what you can do. Just want to speak to those this morning who, as I mentioned before, maybe you don't know who Jesus is. You've never really seen him. But you're looking for meaning and purpose in life. I want to tell you that he's here to forgive you. He's here to heal you from your brokenness. He's here to give you a purpose and a meaning in life. He's come looking for you this morning. And I'm just going to pray in a minute and lead in a prayer. If that's you and you want to respond as this man so long ago did, if you want today to respond to him and say, Lord, I believe. I just would like to lead you in a prayer and you can pray in your heart. Jesus, I thank you that you are here this morning and you've come looking for me. I thank you that you gave your life for me. Thank you that you have forgiven me for all the wrong I've done. I thank you that you are the Son of God. I thank you that you offer me life and life eternal. So Jesus, I just give my life to you. I believe in you and I commit my way to you and dedicate my future and my life to you in Jesus' name. Just while we're praying, if that was you this morning, I just want to pray for you. And just, if you'd like to just lift your hand when I count to three and just pop it up and say, yes, Bruce, that was me. I have prayed that prayer and I now have come to believe in Jesus. If you would like to just lift your hand, then I can pray for you as I count to three. One, two, three, lift your hand if there's anyone here this morning who prayed that prayer. Just looking out. Anyone here this morning? Great. So, Father God, we thank you this morning for everyone here. Thank you for those that have moved closer to you. I thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Lord, there are miracles out there. Help us not to miss the miracles that you have for us and the amazing opportunities for your power to move in our situations this year. Lord, Help us to ask the right questions and to look for what you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.